Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. 12 after 10 o'clock, we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Brian, I am missing you in the studio today. Good morning. Good morning, but you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm sending you a photo now. I'm just going on to my email and sending you a photo. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't get in this morning. We put new telephone systems in, and therefore I'm not able even to take emails from uh, any of our listeners because we're just putting the system in and... Uh, um, yeah, it's one of those things. Nothing seems to work easily these days. Okay. So, so, so effectively, yeah. does that mean that there'll be a bit of a delay in terms of getting back to our listeners? Yeah, I, mean, I won't give a number out today because I don't have that. Uh, we haven't got our voice messages. We've, strange enough, we've got taken all our phones off. Mm-hmm. Even our phones now go straight through to, if you don't answer, go straight through to um, to your cell phone. So a very sophisticated system, but uh, just a few teething problems. So... Um, Hopefully people can call in or we'll give the number out next week. It'll be working again. All right. Well, thanks for giving us the heads up, Brian. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, Today, of course, we're having a conversation that can often be very uncomfortable. But it is an important conversation to have nonetheless because if you delay it and don't do it, it only makes things that much more difficult when the moment of death comes upon us, which which we know is really awaiting all of us, Brian. Well, Kathy, unfortunately, you know, very simply, I've always talked about what's called a life file. And I, 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 I really ask the question of the breadwinner of the family, that if something happens to you, how would you feel if you knew that your family, even though you've left them assets or whatever that case may be, are not able to find these assets, don't know about these assets, don't have any information about these assets? And then you must realize that the minute something happens uh, to your own bank account and once the letters of executorship is received, your bank account is frozen. So how does your family get money? Uh, that's why there are funeral schemes to c- give you money to pay for the funeral. There are life policies where if you have, an in- if you have a beneficiary to that life policy, it will be paid directly to the, to the, to the beneficiary, or the spouse, the children, if the children are over the age of 18. However, it still may take time because death may have occurred with, in suspicious circumstances. There may be a, um, a, a post-mortem that's required. So I'd say for the first rule is before you even set up a life file and what a life file document should have is just bear in mind that each spouse should have their own bank account. You should not be attached either to your husband's or wife and you've got to have your own bank account. One of the other important documents that one needs to have is an abridged marriage certificate and you need to have that handy. So in the life file where I refer to the life file, and this is putting information in, for example, you should, you should have a file that's got all your personal information, all your numbers, and most important, somewhere which you don't want it to be easily found, but your PIN numbers and your codes, because I don't need to tell you that today everything is governed by passwords. And if people don't, if your family don't know your passwords, they can't get, in, get a lot of information. Then in that same then that same information, I think you need to have both spouse information because you never know which of the spouse is going to be involved and die first. Children's details, contact numbers, particularly those that may be living elsewhere in the world. I think I think domestic worker details and then your secure all about your secure security. 
Another important aspect is important contact information, uh, medical information. Then you need to list assets and valuables. I think that's also critical. And then also bank account information and where all your documents are, what your short-term insurance companies, licenses, um, even to, to let um, loved ones know where your title deeds are, and so on, annuities and everything. I'm going to suggest that if anyone, uh, I'm going to give an e a special email out because I have got a document which sets out clearly what should go in that life file, and that's really to speed up the winding up of the states. Estates can take years to wind up, and then families are, uh, and beneficiaries are just left without funds. So I'm going to give next week, because I, I can't do it today, because I don't know yet which, which, which email we need to use, but all the documents, and anyone then can email me, and I'll send them what you should be putting in your life file, just a template that will take you along that. But it's so important, because I'm involved in winding up quite a few estates, and the ones that don't have information, the delays are enormous. The delays from the master's office, you don't, you, the actual will, where's the will kept? And is the will duly signed and witnessed correctly, bearing in mind that anyone who's benefiting from the will, that means an executor, a guardian, anyone else who's going to receive benefits cannot be a witness to the will. It must be a, a, a will with a wet signature. In other words, it must be signed correctly. Um, if you do a codicil, make sure that the codicil, which is in addition to the will, make sure that codicil ties up with the will. And if you've got an international will and a South African will and you change your will, make sure you don't say this is my last will when you've got another will elsewhere. And that I've also had in recent years where people have had two wills and then changed their wills in South Africa. And then the starting point says, this is my last and final will. And, this, and all other wills are cancelled, which then cause problems overseas. And then all the information about your children and those type of things. So I'll, I'm just mentioning this life file because I'm busy winding up estates. And some of the ones that are giving me great, the greatest amount of difficulty are those that... Uh, don't have all the details, and we can't find information. Brian, where would you recommend that one keep their life file, especially given the fact that it contains all of this sensitive information? And and I know that, you know, obviously they, 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 it, you have to kind of have people that you can trust with it. Um, but... Uh, given part of what we've seen uh, in in our history as a country, there may be some people that are reluctant to have um, others know exactly what you know the investments are, uh, what it is that other that that they may stand to benefit if this person is no longer alive. Well, Cathy, well, a file like that, because let me tell you, and let me, you know, I'll come to that now, but let me also tell you the most important document is the will, because a lot of people, how do you want to be buried or cremated? And secondly, have, if you've got a living will, your family needs to know about that living will, because God forbid you end up in a hospital on tubes and the living will, not that it's legal, but often the medical fraternity do follow the legal will. So where would you keep such a file? The only danger of keeping such a file is the file where you put your codes and passwords and th those type of things. But other than that, you can lock it in a, in a safe at home or you can lock it away somewhere where your family knows about it. I mean, in my particular file, I have one locked here 
um, in our uh, secure filing room. And my son also has copies of everything. So there's enough. Um, you know, it, but you know, all that information is important because it, it's it's not as if you have to be scared of someone finding your eye. Well, obviously, identity fraud is also a difficult thing. But you know, when you give your credit card or you give, go to the airport and you have to produce an ID document before you get on a plane, all that information is readily available. So it's only the codes that worried me, uh, the codes or the, the the security numbers, the PIN numbers. But sometimes they're very important. To, to be able to get into information. Uh, so, and bank accounts, where are all the banks and how many bank accounts do you have? Um, yeah, look, you've, you've got to put it in a secure place, but, you, but that information is needed. It is needed by the executor. And the last thing one would want to do is, is leave, a, leave a mess for, for the family when you don't think you're leaving a mess, but in actual fact you are. Who do you suggest that that um, a file like that is left with, Brian? Is it better left with the person that uh, you have tasked with, with, with also uh, sorting out your will or looking after your will? Yes. If, if you've got a, a, a professional executor, then you could ask the executor to keep it on file for you. Or if you've got a spouse or a, or a child, or not a child, but an adult child, who's now going to wind up the estate or your accountant, you could leave the file with them. But that file also needs updating. A lot of it doesn't need updating because when I talk about ID documents and marriage certificates and uh, children's unabridged and abridged birth certificates and how you married and any divorce contracts and a copy of your marriage contract, that doesn't change. Uh, what changes maybe is bank accounts uh, and, and adding to your investments. And, uh, you know, who's your broker? Because your insurance, your financial broker could easily uh, get that information as quickly as needed, uh, particularly where a spouse is the beneficiary and will then be paid directly. Remember, if you leave assets to a trust or you leave it in any other way other than to directly to a beneficiary, then it will go through the estate. But if you leave it to a beneficiary, a husband leaves to wife, wife leaves to husband, uh, older people leave to grown-up children over the age of 18, preferably even older than that, because you don't want children of age 18 inheriting, uh, then very simply th that information can be left with, 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 with a family member. Uh, yeah, look, as much as you're concerned about the security, uh, and yes, it has to be kept in a safe place, people need to know about it, particularly the situation where I've had one recently where I, they, I, I came across... This person is in hospital, is lying there, and I came across in the file a living will that the family knew, never knew about. And that living will talks about not keeping me alive on will, uh, on tubes, obviously maintaining that I don't starve, and a whole lot of other conditions. And that family's now got it. I've also had a situation in recent years where someone, that someone was buried, and in their will, which they only read a few months later, they actually wanted to be cremated. Yeah, so, so 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 it is important that there is at least one person that would have access to this kind of information. What do you find are often the reasons why families choose to to not have this information out there? Because I don't think I don't think spouses believe that either of them are going to die. Mm. A husband doesn't believe his wife's going to die. A wife doesn't believe her husband's going to die, and it's not a subject they want to talk about. But you know, the only two things about certain in life is death and taxes. So understand that uh, very simply, you know, 
yes, one hopes to live to a ripe old age, but you can see many people are dying at younger ages and they don't want to talk about death. The sooner spouses sit right. I find, let me say, I find two emotions over the years when I've dealt with death uh, from the surviving spouse. The first emotion is grief. I've lost my spouse, whether it be a husband or wife, and there's a lot of grief. And the second is guilt. Now, you may ask me, why guilt? Because at the time of the spouse's death, unfortunately, the, the, the surviving partner is thinking about how am I going to pay school fees? Mm. How are we going to pay the bond? How are we going to pay off all our debts? How are we going to live? Because the, the two parties have not shared with themselves what happens in the event of death. And I so often have walked up to, to a, a surviving spouse and tapped them on the shoulder and said, you know, obviously condolences, and then just whispered into the ears, into the ear, you'll be okay. And they've told me a few weeks later, those were the most comforting words they could have ever heard during that period of time because I had reassured them that they'd be okay. And what about the, the singletons, Brian? Well, this, the, obviously the problem with singletons, they're still leaving as a state, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, whether it's insurance policy. Insurance policy may be simple enough because there may be beneficiaries. But that's the problem. I mean, 75 to 80 percent of the people throughout the world don't have a will. I've mentioned that, how important it is to have a will, because you want your assets to go to where you want them to go and to whom you want them to go. And if you don't leave, if you die without a will, you die intestate, then the law lays out exactly where those assets go to. And you will be deprived. You would have been deprived of where you would have wanted them to go. I mean, I've got often situations where one family brother will leave assets to one particular sibling and not all because maybe one or two of the other siblings are well enough and this particular brother that he may have been supporting and may not have assets. So the importance of a, of a single party person is to understand where do you want your assets to go? And if you want your assets to go anywhere else other than dying intestate, which then that, that in itself leaves assets across uh, to, if you had, don't have children, first it goes down to children, first to the spouse, you don't have a spouse because you're single, then to children, then to then up the line to uh, parents and so on. So there's a certain way where assets, where assets automatically go without a will. And I think people, even if you write a one-page will, but uh, with leaving, say, and must obviously be signed correctly and witnessed correctly, better to have it without a will. However, let me make the other point, it's better to have no will if you're going to have a badly drafted will, which is going to cause a whole lot of confusion um, um, in the event of death. Sure. That's that's an important point to make, right? Uh, that that the quality of the will is also uh, something that we need to look at. I've got a question here for you, Brian. Um, it says, hi, Cathy, please ask Brian how one can trace a will that was left in the UK if it was left in 2010. Is it still there? Well, all you can do is, as you could in South Africa, contact the master's office, giving dates, giving details of the individual, if you've got the ID number, if you've got dates of birth, if you've got where they resided, and asking in this country, uh, has, has a will been lodged? Because a will is an, is an open document. Anyone can have access to a will. And I would imagine the same applies. Remember, our law in South Africa is governed by what we call Roman Dutch law, and the UK is governed by English law. I don't know uh, how you'd go about tracing a will. 
But I tell you what, it's a good question, and I will ask our legal people in the UK to give me to give me some information, and I will answer that question in more details and and and, and, and more more information next Tuesday. All right, thanks for that, Brian. Let me go to Mpo in Mangawung. Mpo, good morning. Good morning, Sis Casey, and good morning to Brian. Morning, Mpo. Uh, sorry, Brian. Brian, I just wanted to check uh, as a spouse, how much rights or influence do I have on the 50% of my spouse in terms of will? For argument's sake, if he says, I want to give my 50% to so-and-so and so-and-so, and I don't agree with what my spouse says about uh, to whom does he want or she wants to give the, the what you call the 50% to, do I have the right to say no? Or is Bumpa, are, you, are you married in community of property? Yes. Okay, so automatically both you and your spouse are, 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 are owners on death of 50% of each other's estate. The balance of 50% can be left. We have freedom of test state in this country, and the balance of 50% can be left to anyone, even if you don't agree. Uh, the only way you can ever contest that is if there's been undue influence by one particular party, particularly where people are very sickly now and maybe terminal, or secondly, um, if there was, um, the first was undue influence, the second was the inability of the person making the will really to be of sound mind. Very difficult to prove, very difficult. But then don't, don't always remember there is uh, a claim for maintenance from on one spouse and the others on their estate. So let's assume you're the breadwinner and uh, something happened to you and you'd left your assets to someone else. Your spouse would have the right to 50% of the estate in terms of in-community property. And then she'd also have a claim for maintenance if she wasn't able to maintain herself. And that would be taken into account by the executor before winding up the will. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you, All right. Cathy. All right, Thank Mpo, you. Thank, thanks for that question. So, Brian, j- just so that we're clear on that question, um, you are saying that if you're married in community of property, 50% belongs to one spouse. The other 50%, if, they, let's say, a, a spouse has passed on, um, that spouse can decide, well, I'm giving this 50% to my brother. And that's how the will then would be um, effected. Yes. So that is freedom of testate, you can leave your assets to whoever you are, subject mm. to, as I mentioned, mm. the ability of making in sound mind and no undue influence, and that the, the, the other spouse doesn't have a, even if the other spouse does have a claim, left it to your brother, but has a claim against the, the husband, the deceased husband's estate, there will be a claim for maintenance. All right. It sounds like one of those things that, uh, you know, needs to be resolved before anybody dies, really. Otherwise, no, your marriage regime quite... is very important, Kathy, yeah. because you've got, you know, in before the 80s, you had ANC or in community. Now you have accrual or non-accrual. So when you get married, very important, that, 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 that contract. The first fight I ever had with my wife was when we drew up the will. All her <laughs> friends got houses, and I never gave her a house. I only gave her policy. But I said, I don't have a house. Yes, but all my friends had, you know, I don't, we nearly didn't get married. <laughs> That's 52 years ago. And Brian, you want to know something? Yeah. Sorry, Kathy. Hold that thought for me. We're going to continue with you after the latest uh, 10.30 news headlines. Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. So, Brian, does your will today look very different to what it is when you first got married? 
Well, now I seem to own nothing. Uh, my wife seems to own everything, and all she says to me, you never gave me anything in my ANC. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she owns everything. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some so, silver linings, yeah. right? But by the way, with wills, I mean, you know, as I said, better to have no will than to have a badly worded will that is completely ambiguous. Mm. But all I can say is that wills have to be updated regularly. Uh, and if you're adding a codicil to the will, that means you're just adding a rider to the will saying that, I don't, that, that you don't have to redo your whole will, but just making, for example, a change of an executor, make sure that the codicil is dated currently, but it refers to the date of the actual will. And I've seen people who date codicils today and they refer to a will and they don't date that will and that makes that codicil invalid as well. Brian, I've got another so it's, it's question. It's quite a complicated thing. Yeah. I've, I've got an, another question for you here. It says, if a will is opened at the bank, can you still be able to access it at the master court or only at the bank? No, well, it, it, when you, I'm not sure of the question because if the, will, if the will is lodged with the bank, the chances are the bank is the executor. So in the event, in the event of the death, the bank will then take on the role as executor and the bank will deal directly with the master. But what you should always have, even if your bank will is lodged with an institution, you should always have a copy and a, that reminds you to update your will. Because, you know you, you, you know, you can't just leave the will and just leave it 20 years old, 20 years older, and, and maybe there's some big changes that you need to make. I mean, the laws are changing, not the laws of wills, but, you know, state duty and CGT and all different aspects in terms, and, your, and one's life changes all the time. And that's when life, when there are major life changes in your life, birth of a child, a marriage, divorce, uh, sale of a business, sale of a property at all those particular times, um, um, you should be looking at the will. Give you an example, clients of mine has a will. She doesn't have any children of her own. She doesn't have a spouse. She's left money, 30% to one sister, 30% to another, and 10% to four niece, nieces and nephews. And now she's got two properties, and she said, should she include those two properties in the will? I said, well, the properties are included in the will because you've left all your assets wherever they may be situated to these particular parties. But do you really want to leave two properties to, uh, uh, to in terms of your will where you've got two kids in Australia and New Zealand are going to get 10% each, you've got two here and you've got two sisters are going to get 30. It's going to be a total, total what, I, what I call um, smorgasbord because – I mean, everyone's got a different objective. So you need to think carefully whether you want to leave assets that are liquid assets to the 10% um, uh, beneficiaries and rather leave the two properties to your sisters. So, you know, you've got to, be, you've got to think very carefully at the wording of a will. You, and Because remember, you can specify in a will assets you're leaving, particularly jewellery and things like that. But if you do, then that is, forms part of your estate and it's dutiable. All right, I'm going to play one voice note question for you, Brian, before we wrap it up. Hi, Kathy. Um, thank you so much for bringing Brian on again. Um, I'd like to know um, the the wills. Um, some banks they help you set up a world. Is that world good enough, um, or do you actually need to go to like 
another person, like a company that deals with this or a person who specifically deals with this. So I'd just like to know if um, the one that banks help you set up if that's sufficient or not. Brian? Yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely fine to have a will set up your will, uh, to draw up your will, and any other professional party. Just want to make a comment that, that um, the, the executor's fees are laid down, there's tariff, and the banks have wills, many wills stored in their vaults. Uh, when they wind up in a state, they charge 3.5% plus VAT. That's high. Uh, one can, if I went to a bank, if my, let's say my wife was the beneficiary of my will, and she then went to the bank and negotiated how much they would charge uh, to wind up the fee. They may wind up the estate at 2%. And secondly, my wife would be in control if the job being done by the executor is not being done well. She could then fire them and replace them, whereas if your will's with a professional, only the person that can fire that professional is now the deceased. But one other thing I would like to say, if your state has been growing, you should talk to the bank or to any institution about that particular clause and negotiate a fee that they will charge in the event of your death in winding up the state, not just accepting tariff. You know, with inflation and people's assets increasing, you know, and, and the state that have 10 million means you're going to pay 350,000 rands worth of debt duties, whereas if you negotiated at 2%, you'd only pay 200,000. So it's an important negotiation you should have with whoever's the executor. All right. Brian, thank you so much as always. I think we'll leave it there for today yeah. because um, you did say that uh, your phone lines are down for this week. So uh, we'll pick up the conversation then next week. Kathy, look forward to seeing them being back in the studio. Thank oh, you very much. Fantastic. Have a lovely uh, day further. Brian Hirsch there.